Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. All right. Good morning, everyone. If you guys would take out your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 101 this morning. Uh, how many of the women that are here today were at the Hear Him Women's Conference this weekend? Yeah, that was a, a huge uh, turnout and a huge blessing. I think the Lord really ministered and spoke to so many of the women in this church and even women from other churches who were able to uh, be with us over the last couple of days. I, I actually came uh, for the final session, mostly stayed out in the lobby listening to the word as Diane Comer shared it, and then got a chance to hear from so many women leaving that session, going to lunch, that God had really used that as a special moment in their lives to really speak to and uh, minister to their hearts. So it was a real dream come true for us to have Diane with us uh, all weekend. And this morning, her husband, Phil, is going to be sharing the word with us as a church. Now, you might not know Phil and Diane Comer yourselves, but they have been serving Jesus their entire married lives together, which is for 45 years they've been serving Jesus together. And they are a true gift to the body of Christ. Uh, they started early on in their ministry here in California and then worked with Luis Palau doing international evangelism for many years before in the early 2000s moving to Portland, Oregon of all places to plant a church. They planted a church called a Jesus Church and that church since that time has branched out into a network of churches. God is on the move in Portland, Oregon and throughout that region, and they got to be and still are a major part uh, of that work. And uh, as they did their ministry there in Portland, uh, so many young people began coming to the church. And so for them, that meant that their ministry took a real parental turn. They started realizing that these young adults needed mentoring and encouragement and answers and discussion and discipleship. And so they began ministering in that kind of way. And that's where I began to get exposed to their work. Uh, together, Phil and Diane wrote what I think is the best parenting book I've ever read called Raising Passionate Jesus Followers. I've read it multiple times. I remember one year in particular, I think I read it three times that year. So you know I had some parenting needs going on in my life at that point. And uh, so when we got the opportunity to have Diane come down and we we're praying it through like, oh, Lord, please open the door. We'd love to have her come and share with our women. It was like a yes and amen kind of moment. But then we heard through the grapevine that Phil might also be available to share the word with us on Sunday morning. And so it's a double blessing for me because, for one, I get the week off. And number two, I know you're going to be blessed by the word that he has to share with you. I hope he doesn't change anything from the first service because it was just a beautiful word that I think was from the Lord for us. And so they're a huge blessing. Last night, Phil and I went out to dinner. And I don't know if you've ever had a time with someone one-on-one -on -one where you leave just feeling like the most special person on the face of the earth. That's, that's his gift. He, he loves pastors. He loves to encourage pastors, loves to mentor pastors. And I was just so encouraged by Phil. And I'm, I'm just so thankful for this new friendship and relationship that has been started uh, this weekend. So would you welcome with me Pastor Phil Comer. 
Give me a hug. It's not too many times I hug somebody that's taller than me, but he's not just taller. He's like, this guy is buffed. Like, I asked him what his workout was, but he first he said something to me. I, you didn't explain it, but I think I know what you meant. He goes, yeah, I've seen most guys that are 60 and 70, and they all look a certain way. And so I'm lifting weights. <laughs> and he was like, because I don't want to look like you when I'm your age. But I just feel, by the way, uh, nice to meet Good morning. Uh, you are our Monterey Church now. I can't believe I never came here. I have a brother who lives in Salinas, and so uh, all the nice things you said about me, we should just quit right now and pray and go to lunch. But uh, you heard that saying before, somebody or, some people are a blessing wherever they go. Other people are a blessing whenever they go. <laughs> and I hope to be the former and live up to some of the nice things that he said. But uh, I feel very protected here because not only is he very you know, strong and in shape, but I met your executive pastor, Manny. That guy is like ripped. So today... We have Jesus above you and Manny and Nate here. We're like, we're safe. I mean, the guy can teach the Bible and he's a man of God and he has a wife beside him, Christina, isn't she? Yeah, you guys need to thank the Lord for these guys because they are a blessing to you. Um, there, there are a lot of churches. I've been able to go to a lot of churches. I love the church. I, we wanted to raise our kids to love Jesus, love the scriptures, and love the church. And I love the church, but there are many churches going through a really hard time right now. And there's leaders that aren't really leading like they should or being who they should. And you guys have a blessed. I know when I walk into a church within 15 or 20 minutes when I start meeting the staff, if it's a healthy church, this is a healthy church. There's no perfect church. That's the joke, right? If you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll wreck it, right? So it's like, there's no perfect church because we're all broken people being put back together by Jesus, but this is the healthy church. If you're visiting today, come back because he's in a gifted preacher. Don't, don't, don't make your decision based on me. <laughs> all right. But we, I just wanted to say in the first gathering, so this is Monterey. You realize you get to live in Monterey. <laughs> like I grew up in Santa Clara, San Jose, and used to come here on my days off. And it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. So it, it, before we planted the church in Portland, um, I always tell guys, like, don't tell the Lord where you want to go. Because all the pastors would be in Maui or Monterey, right? So you say, Jesus, where do you want me to go? And so I thought I had a chance to come here, right? About five or six years before you, be, you became the pastor here. Um, I was part of a church planting organization. They wanted to plant churches in Northern California. So my wife and I were assessed. They said, yes, we think you should plant. And here's the cities we want to plant in. Monterey was on there. I go, that's the Lord right there. Monterey. Oh, God, thank you. And so we came down to drive through it and pray, like Joshua and Caleb spying out the land. So we pray, uh, and we, we start driving through here. And immediately, my wife and I got sick, like sick to our stomach, like bad sick, like I'm gonna have to pull over and I won't, I won't describe anything else. But, um, and we just knew within five minutes, you are not supposed to come here. We went back to 101 and we go, we're not supposed to go. And so the reason was God didn't want us here. He wanted this guy here. And what I didn't know, see, there's things you just don't know that God knows. There was already Calvary Chapel here. And God had already, already was going to call Nate to be your pastor. He's been here 15 years now. So <laughs> they didn't need my wife and me because you had Nate and Christina. So anyway, that's just a little story. If God calls you to Portland, you have to leave Monterey. Okay, here we go. Psalm 101, enough chit-chat. I, I know you're comfortable, but I'm going to ask you to stand while I read the text. And we're going to say a short prayer. I love to stand when the Bible is read. 
In the Old Testament, they stood for hours with their children, listening to the word of God proclaimed. The Bible says, give attention to the public reading of scripture. I just think it's good to stand before the Lord, the king of the universe. This is God's word. So I'm going to read just the first six verses of Psalm 101, and then we'll pray and jump in. I will sing of your loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. And verse 6, my eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. Father, thank you for your word. Every time it is spoken, every time we hear it, you so want to move in our hearts and bring us into alignment with who you are and how you want us to live our lives. So thank you for this privilege, Lord, these moments together as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to listen to your word. May it bear fruit, and may we be those who don't just hear the word, but who are eager to go obey. And we ask for your grace in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. Now, plop down and get comfortable. So I mentioned I love Monterey. My wife and I had our honeymoon in Carmel 45 years ago. It's our 45th anniversary now. And yeah. And you ladies got to experience her. I mean, so people ask me, like, how did you get such a pretty wife? I go, look, I know there's an insult on the other end of that. But all I say is when God blesses you, say thank you. So I thank God for her. So we had our honeymoon in Carmel. So after this gathering, I'd be nice and say hi to some of you. Then we're out of here to go to our honeymoon spot. And it's way more expensive when we, than we went there on our honeymoon. By the way, we got married the year he was born, all right? So you're one of my new sons. Like, I love this guy. I... Anyway, so when we come to Monterey, we know where our church is. But anyway, um, so we're going to go there, and we've been going every year. It's way more expensive, so we save up money, you know, all year long, and then we try to get down there. And um, our kids know that we go, and uh, one Christmas, they gave us a night at the place we had our honeymoon, and they gave us, you know, some gifts as their Christmas present to us. So that year, they knew we were going, and we texted on our family text. Most of you have, like, a family text, so... Ours is really hilarious because I was on, I was saved in the Jesus movement. It was like all in, like get rid of everything. It's Jesus and Jesus only. And so I, I was a musician for nine years. I played all over California. So I had to literally turn off, it was the radio back then. I couldn't listen to anything. I threw all my records away because it just, it brought my old life back to me and some of the immorality and stuff. So I was just like Jesus and Jesus only. Star Wars comes out. And I go, I'm not going to let my kids watch Star Wars. I'm not going to watch Star Wars because I don't want my kids to think that Jesus is just the force. He's, he's like king. And so I was one of the radicals that wouldn't even let my kids do that. Well, they grew up, and then they became Star Wars nerds. So they know all things Star Wars. And so one of them made our family group text, the force is strong in our family. <laughs> I don't know, Lord. Whatever. So we're getting all these family texts. And our oldest son, John Mark, he texts this, Dad. You've been married longer than I've been alive. To which I replied, that's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> you know, get married, then have kids. 
Now, 45 years sounds like a long time, especially if you're younger here, and it is a long time, but my parents were married for 57 years before my dad went to be with the Lord. And when I came to Christ, I started praying for all my family members and all my relatives. I baptized my dad when he was 67. I was crying my eyes out. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? I bap-. You know, you know, he lived 10 more years. My wife's parents were married for 62 years before her dad went to be with the Lord. And they set an example for us of what this psalm talks about, especially verse 6, an example of faithfulness. And now it's our turn. It's my turn. It's Diane's turn to set an example for our kids and our grandkids to follow in our steps. Verse 6 is kind of the key verse of this psalm, and it just jumps off the page as the main theme faithfulness. I've called this message staying faithful. So I want to unpack the psalm, and then I want to talk to you about why it's so important for you and me to live not just for a week or a year or two years, but a life of faithfulness. Now, Psalm 101 is a psalm of David, the king of Israel. But if you do the study, it's also what's called a royal psalm that points forward to the coming of the Messiah, the son of David, Jesus Christ, who will one day rule and reign in perfect righteousness. And man, with all the mess ups in the world right now, I mean, America's in deep trouble. The left hates the right, the right hates the left. It's anger everywhere, it's cancel culture everywhere. Now we have the Middle East conflict. All these things make us realize that we need Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, to come again, amen? And and solve it all. And then he's gonna set up his rule and reign and he's gonna renew all things. And Habakkuk 2.14 says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I can't wait for that, can't you? And so we need to tell people about Jesus so they can be there when that happens and they can be with him for all eternity. If you're here, I'm I'm sure most of you know Jesus. This is a Jesus-loving, Bible-teaching church, but maybe you're visiting today and you haven't given your life to Christ and you've been through some tough stuff. I just want you to know Jesus loves you right where you are. He wants to save you from all of your sin. He wants to bring you to be with him forever and ever. And everybody on planet Earth today is going to spend eternity. That's the longest trip you will ever take, either away from the Lord or in the presence of the Lord. And he wants you to be with him forever. That's why we say every song we sang is getting us ready for communion. It's all about the cross and about the blood and about being forgiven. And he wants you to be with him forever and ever. So if you're here and you haven't given your life to him, today, the Bible says today's the day of salvation. You don't know what'll happen tomorrow, but man, follow him today and begin a life of faithfulness. Now, Psalm 101 lays out the kind of ideal ruler that David wanted to be. He begins in verse 1. I I, I like it a lot. He begins by singing. Now, remember, the Psalms were actually sung. When you read a Psalm, it was the Jewish hymn book, and we just read it like I just read it, but this would have been sung. Now, some scholars believe that it may have been sung at David's inaugural address when he was crowned king of Israel, sort of like a president putting his hand on the Bible and taking the oath of office. If that's true, then David is a young man, maybe 30 years old or so, when he writes these words. He's a godly young man who has a deep desire to be faithful to the Lord in the way he lives his life and also the way he rules the nation. But as we go through it, these characteristics of a faithful person, they're not just for a king, they're not just for a president, they're for a faithful husband, they're for a godly wife, they're for 
a young person who said, I'm 16 years old, but I'm going to be faithful to Jesus, and I'm going to serve him with all my life. Therefore, businessmen and businesswomen who want to be people of integrity, and they're also the characteristics that make for a beautiful, solid, Jesus-centered, love-filled home, which is what God wants your kids to grow up in. You know, when kids grow up in a home where dad is walking with Jesus, mom is walking with Jesus, there's love in this home. My parents are the real deal. They don't have any kind of hypocrisy going on. They're not perfect, and I know it. They ask my forgiveness when they blow it, but I sense the love of God here. That's, that's, that's such a beautiful thing, and that's what all of our kids need, and, and that's what you can provide with the help of Jesus. So I love the way he begins here, David. Look at verse 1. He goes, I will sing. Starts, I'm going to sing of your love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. It reminds me of a verse I memorized a long time ago, Psalm 35, 28. It says, my tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all day long. When you start off in the morning thanking God for what he has done and what you do have instead of complaining about what he hasn't done or what you don't have, your day is going to be completely different. David goes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to begin my day singing. It's so much better than grumbling and complaining. And some of you may be like me. I have a tendency to grumble and complain. I grew up in the Bay Area. You're 30 minutes from, I live in Aptos for four years, a mile from the beach. It's my favorite place, my favorite weather. And God said, no, that's great. And I'm asking him that during the millennium, if I could be here, but I don't know if he's going to let me. He said, I'm sending you to Portland where if you've been to Portland, it's very beautiful in the summer, and it just drizzles a lot, like a lot. They don't even, you don't even bother with an umbrella. They just call it misting. And so, but it's kind of gray, and so I'm used to the sun, right? So I would get days like, oh, man, it's another depressing day. And my wife would call me on it. She goes, you're grumbling. And I preach sermons on grumbling. I know exactly how God feels about it. He hates it. <clears throat> so she would confront me. Lately, we got this new thing where... She said, you know what I'm going to do? I, I said, this is really a good idea. She's going to start fining me 20 bucks whenever I grumble. <laughs> so I used to play in a band, and musicians, they're all selfish. They have all these bad attitudes, so we would fine guys if they had just a lousy attitude. It was 20 bucks back then. That's a lot of money. So I said, actually, that's a good idea. It's going to remind me <laughs> to be like David. Don't complain, because when you do, when you complain, the Bible calls that scoffing, like, the Lord's been really good to you. <laughs> Yeah, well, today I don't feel like it. Well, it says in Proverbs 9, 12, if you scoff, you alone will bear it. In other words, nobody's going to want to be around you. <laughs> like, have a nice day. I'm leaving you. And I wrote in my Bible in Proverbs 9, no one likes a scoffer. I want to be like David. I want to begin my day and continue in my day uh, praising the Lord. David says, I'm going to begin my reign as king as one who sings praises. Now, I've been starting to do this. I used to lead worship a lot. I don't hardly ever anymore occasionally, but I thought, well, I don't need to be preparing worship like Riley. I could just grab my guitar in the morning and sing worship or go to the piano and do worship. So I've been starting to do that more. And I would suggest you do too. Begin your day singing. You said, I don't play the guitar. That's okay. I don't play anything. That's okay. I have a lousy voice. That's okay too, because the Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So just make sure nobody's around. My wife, you ladies met her. She's completely deaf. That's part of her story. And when she sings, I stand next to her in church a lot, and I hear her. She's completely off key. And, I mean, it doesn't sound nice to me. 
But then I look at her face. And I'm telling you, she, she is a deep worshiper. She has an intimate walk with God. God doesn't have any favorites, but he does have intimates, and she's one of them. And I look at her face, and I say, the Lord is delighting in this beautiful sound she's making. Well, so sing. What do I sing? Well, David's singing of God's loving kindness and justice. Only God can balance those two things. He can balance mercy and justice perfectly. He does it right every time. David's saying, I want to characterize my rule as king by loving kindness and justice because that's how God rules his world. Look at verse 2. It says, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. And then he asks the question of God, when will you come to me? Notice he says, I will here. Staying faithful in your marriage, with your family, in your business, it begins with a firm commitment and a deep desire to please the Lord in all you do. Like Pastor Nate said, we're living sacrifices. We, we are sacrificing. We're on the altar. Lord, we belong to you, and everything we say and everything we do needs to be glorifying to you. So David knew that he needed to make this commitment, so he says, I will. In fact, if you look at this psalm, eight times he says, I will. I will, 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 I will. He was determined to be a faithful man of God because he knew living a life of faithfulness wasn't just going to happen. He had to make a commitment. And I want to be like him. I also want to be like Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, the Bible says he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Another translation said he made up his mind that he wouldn't defile himself. He says, I want to lead a blameless life. Now, blameless does not mean sinless. I'm, I want to make that clear. There's only one who is sinless. His name is Jesus Christ. We sang about his sinless blood shed on the cross for you and me. Blameless means that you're not living a double life. No one can point the finger of blame at you. My younger brother was here in the last gathering. He lives in Salinas. He does my taxes. So what if I told my brother, hey, lie about this, because if, if you say I made this much and we altered this thing, well, what would that be? That would be a lack of integrity. I wouldn't be blameless. I would be saying that I was a man of integrity, but I wouldn't be living as a man of integrity. What David is saying here is he wanted to be blameless, not sinless. So if you're living a faithful, blameless life, nobody can point the finger at you and say, I know you call yourself a Christian, but I know this about you. There's no hypocrisy going on. He wanted to live a life pleasing to God because he wanted to stay in close fellowship with him. And we have a slider that says, sin breaks our fellowship with God. Yes, it's all by grace. Your sin is forgiven. The only unforgivable sin is to reject Jesus Christ. This is God's only provision for our sin. Everything else can be forgiven when we come to Jesus. But if we're living a double life, we're not going to feel close to God. You're not going to be eager to open your Bible because you're going to be immediately convicted that you need to stop doing this or start doing this. And so uh, when you want to be close to God, then we need to live a blameless life. And when, when God brings something to our attention, we ask his forgiveness. So he says, that's what he means when he says, when will you come to me? He said, when I have this deep desire and I'm truly walking with you. In Psalm 15, he says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Here's his answer, the one whose walk is blameless and does what is, righteousness, does what is righteous. He had this deep desire to please the Lord. Now, some of you are thinking, because you know the Bible, this is a Bible teaching church. Yeah, Phil, but didn't he mess up? 
Yes, he did. When he was much older. And unfortunately, I'm sure Nate has seen this too. It happens so often. People start out, they come to Christ at a young age, they start out on fire, they're serving at Campus Crusade for Christ, or they're serving in the church, and, they're, and then down the line, for multiplicity of reasons, they slowly drift away, and compromise sets in, which we're going to talk about later, and then something major happens. Yes, when he was much older, where he, when he wasn't where he was supposed to be, he was supposed to be out in battle, he stayed home, he sees a woman bathing, he calls her to him, he commits adultery, then he tries to cover it up by bringing her husband back, it's not working, so finally he arranges to have him murdered. Those are two of the deepest sins. They're not the only deep sins, but they're two of them, adultery and murder. This is David. This is this man who's saying, I want to live a blameless life. You say, well, then how, how come you're teaching this? Well, the book of Acts says that David is a, God says, God says about David, he is a man after my heart who will do all my will. How could that be? Well, it's because David sinned deeply, but he repented completely. If you read Psalm 51, it's a song of his repentance. He was deeply, deeply sorrowful for what he had done and asked God to cover his sin. And something Psalm 32 is about that as well. Another verse in the Old Testament says that he was, he was righteous except in the case of Uriah, which was Bathsheba's husband. So yes, he messed up. And if you study the life of David, he was never the same again. One of his sons even tried to kill him. There was a lot of brokenness in his family, and that's what happens to all of us. There's brokenness in our lives because of things we have done wrong or places we've missed the mark. But here, what I want you to see is that didn't have to happen. As a young man, you see his desire out of the gate to live a godly life. And he didn't even have the Holy Spirit living in him. We have the Spirit of God. The moment you say, Jesus, save me, the Spirit of God comes into you. So we have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to help us live a godly life. So I can literally say, Lord, you commanded me to lay down my life for my wife. No husband can do that 24-7. If you're anything like me, I can be very selfish, but with God's help, he can love her through me, but I have to say I want to and I will, and it's this partnership. So David is saying this here. Look at the second half of verse two. He says, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I like this. This is the fourth time, fourth time he says I will. He knew that he, he needed to be a godly man, not just when he was sitting on the throne, but when he was at home, because that's where real life happens. He goes, I'm going to walk in my house in the integrity of my heart. He was out, out of sight from the people there, but God saw him. And this is God's plan for leaders in the church. And you have these kind of leaders here in this church. They're not sinless, but they are blameless. Your pastors love the Lord. They love their wives. They're living godly lives, and that's why this church is healthy. It's not always the case in churches, but I'm grateful. I've met a lot of the leaders here in this short time I've been here, and, and I can sense these are people that are following Jesus, and they're laying out an example for you to follow in their steps as they follow Jesus in his steps. And they love you. They love you. And that's a beautiful thing. Somebody said integrity is who you are when no one is watching. I heard a story of a couple that went to visit some friends, and they were staying in the guest room, which was actually the baby's room. They had an infant baby, but they said, we'll just put the baby in our room while you stay there. So they were in this guest room, and their friends were in the living room, and they got in this huge fight, and they were yelling at each other. 
And then one of them goes, is that the baby monitor? The baby monitor was on. Their friends were listening to the whole thing. They walked out, said, hi, you know. And so sometimes we think, oh, man, that would be just so, like, so embarrassing. Somebody's listening to what I'm, but think about it. God hears every word we say. And that's why we need to be careful how we speak. And we need to ask the Lord to help us control this thing called the tongue. You know, Matthew 12 says, I tell, Jesus said, I tell you, every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. In other words, this is a, a gift we have to bless God and to bless others. And so um, David wanted to be this kind of person that was a man of integrity. Another, another definition of integrity is doing the right thing no matter the cost. In other words, I'm going to do the right thing even if it costs me. Job said in Job 27.5, until I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. And he lived a really long time. The Bible says he saw his sons and his grandsons four generations. Now, David gets more specific. Look at verse three. We're only going to verse six, but here's three. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Now he's talking about what he's going to look at or not look at. The word worthless here means good for nothing or even wicked. The New Living translates verse 3 this way, I will live a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile or vulgar. David said, I'm not going to stare at or contemplate or dwell on things which are morally wicked or wrong. I mean, when we think about most movies and songs and things that we see on social media, they aren't things that we can feast our eyes on. They're things that we need to be careful not to look at. David says, I want no part of it. And the second half of verse 3 says, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. And yet it did later. But here he's saying it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If you desire like David to stay faithful, you'll have to make decisions through every single day to turn away, look away, run away because you don't want to fall away and mess up. And during my wife and my 40 years of ministry, 45 years of ministry together, unfortunately, many of the young people we started out with, even guys in full-time ministry, have lost marriages, have fallen away, have, and it just breaks our hearts because we knew them when they were young. We knew their passion. We knew their walks with the Lord. And all of us, once you come to Jesus, you know, maybe you've heard the phrase before, life isn't a playground, it's a battleground. You have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you have the power of the Spirit to overcome all three. You know, Jesus had, had the same enemies, and he perfectly overcame them all. The world pulls at you. The flesh cries out to you. The devil, he's out to destroy you. The Bible says he's seeking whom he may devour. But the Bible just says resist him and he'll flee from you. Most people have more trouble with the world and the flesh, and then they blame the devil. But what we can do is realize I have the power of Jesus Christ. I have the Spirit of God in me, and I can do battle in this arena. And the battle, by the way, it's not done with bombs and tanks and guns. It's done in prayer. Verse 4, the perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. Now, this sounds harsh, but David's just describing and declaring how a life, a family, a home, a nation ought to be run. Not just how things should be, but what can't be true. He knew that God wanted him to walk in humility. He knew that God hated pride, so he said, I'm going to be that humble man. 
And now we come to verse 6, my favorite verse, what I think is the, really the, the heart of this psalm. So let me read it again. My eyes, he says, shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He's saying, in, in my cabinet, in my rule, in my close relationships, I'm not going to surround myself with arrogant people. I'm going to surround myself with faithful people. He knew the truth of Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Who do you hang out with? Who, who, who do you spend most of your time with? Are they helping you? Are they spurring you on to love the Lord more and to want to get in the scriptures more and to lay down your life for others more? Or are they pulling you away? Are they pulling you into things that, that aren't really helping you? We need to love everybody, and we're commanded to go share Jesus with every chance we get with people. But those who are your closest friends, who are influencing you, should be those who help you. So uh, you have to answer that question for yourself. David saying, I'm going to surround myself with faithful people. In the New Testament, the Greek word translated faithful, pistos, it just means trustworthy or sure or true. The Hebrew word is really interesting. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew and Aramaic, and the Hebrew word translated faithful here, aman, it does mean figuratively to be firm and steadfast or faithful, but the root of it was to support a child like a parent would. So mothers and fathers are to support their kids. They're to be faithful. They're to be always there. Oh, you don't have anything to eat? Sorry. <laughs> Go find it yourself. No. No, they're to provide for their kids and to take care of their kids, and they're to support them and hold them up. You know, all fathers, when their kids are really little, the, their, their little daughter, little boy says, Daddy, throw me up in the air. You know, did you do that with your dad? Like, they were, and, and they never worry that you were going to not catch him. <laughs> yeah, I'll throw you up. <laughs> of course not. But even when they're eight years old, they still want you to throw them up in the air. And you go, I'm not strong enough. Go ask Nate. He'll do it. All right. <laughs> but <clears throat> God wants, he uses this word, this example of how a godly parent would support his family and his children to show us what it really means to be faithful. Now, let me give you two reasons. You say, why is it so important to stay faithful? Let me give you two reasons. First of all, faithfulness is what the Lord requires. Some people don't like to hear that God actually desires certain things and, and, and actually requires things. Whenever he requires anything from us, it's for our good. And remember, God doesn't require anything of us or ask anything of us that he isn't already the example of. And faithfulness is one of those. It says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. He can't be unfaithful. Because it's part of who he is. He's faithful. So he asks us, who have received Christ as Savior, to be faithful followers. And as followers of Jesus, you're to be a worshiper, and you're to be a servant and a steward. A servant means you don't live for yourself. You live for others. A steward means you recognize everything I have. The fact that I can walk today, uh, and, and I can be here, and I can speak, it's all gift from God. I know, guys, my friends are starting to go to be with the Lord now. I mean, close friends. And I just thank God that I can be here with you today and share the word. It's all gift. And I need to steward the, the money. It's God's money, not mine. So that's why when an opportunity comes to give some of it away, man, do it joyfully. 
And here's what 1 Corinthians 4.2 says. It is required of stewards that they be found what? Faithful. Say, Lord, it's all your stuff. Today is your day. I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for you. If you withdrew all the oxygen from the earth, I'm dead. Like, you made me. And you're going to give me a new glorified body one day. I belong to you. Everything I am to do today is not about my agenda. It's about you and how I can serve you. And that starts in the little things. Big things are important, but faithfulness starts in the little things. God is always watching us to see if he can trust us with more responsibility. And so you need to be like David. I need to be like David. I will do whatever it takes to stay faithful. Uh, I, uh, Nate mentioned that I traveled with an evangelist, Luis Palau, for years, and I'm so grateful for it. I, I, I got to lead worship at his graveside a couple years ago, and I can't believe I got through it without bawling my eyes out. But we saw so many hundreds and thousands of people come to Christ. But it was a lot of travel, and I, my wife was with me, but for the first time I wasn't leading in a church or on staff at a church. I was traveling by myself, and we were in England a lot. If you've ever been to England... Just turning on the TV, you don't have to rent any movies or anything. There's some bad stuff on there. And, uh, you know, now everything's streaming and all that. But back then, you know, you'd go into a hotel room and there'd be like you could rent a movie. And they always had, you know, family movies and adult movies, which is full-on pornography. So I'm over in England. I'm thousands of miles away from my wife. And, and uh, I'm saying, I don't, want to, I don't need to be tempted by this. You know, this was a scenario of my life, you know, before I was walking with Jesus. So what I started to do... I heard a guy say once, a preacher say, hey, as soon as you find out what your weakness is, pre-pray to prevent disaster. (laughs) And he said, and then do whatever you need to do. So I thought, I'm just going to unplug the TV. I don't need to watch TV. So I walk in, unplug it. Okay, temptation gone. And so then I was in this hotel where they they want you to pay your bill over the hotel. Like they have your credit card, but they, you know, you can check out right here. So they were trying to check me out, but they couldn't get through to me because the TV wasn't working. So they, they called me on the phone. Mr. Comer, we're trying to process your checkout, but we can't get through to you on the TV. I go, that's because I unplugged it. And they go, why did you unplug it? So I told them, you know, I mean, I was nice about it, but um, I, that was just a small thing that I felt I needed to do. What's the small thing you need to do? Might have nothing to do with that area of your life. Might be a completely different area of of your life. You grew up with a parent who was just critical and cutting people down and it's kind of in you and you want to get it out of you and you realize there's some things you need to do so that you're not walking around being judgmental. You know, you want to be like Jesus said, you know, take the log out of your own eye, you know, so you can be this loving person. Whatever it is, do it. Faithfulness, faithfulness is what God wants. I don't think we sing that song anymore. You remember that song we used to sing, um, faithfulness, Faithfulness is what I long for. Faithfulness is what I need. And the last line is faithfulness is what you want from me. So take my life and conform it. That's really what David is saying here. It's what the Lord requires. Secondly, if you're taking notes, it's what the Lord rewards. God can't wait to reward you and me when we simply do what's for our own good. In Matthew 25, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. In other words, Jesus says, hey, if you're faithful over little, I'm going to give you more to do. Like the the reward for work well done is more work to do. And you say, I'm already tired. I don't want any more work. Listen, serving the Lord is, is so fulfilling. It's to be able to help others in the name of Jesus, you don't have to be a pastor to do that. Just to get up in the morning and say, who can I bless today? Who can I help today? Having meaningful 
eternal work to do makes life worth living. It gets me up in the morning. It's why I don't want to retire and go play. I, I hate golf anyway. Pickleball. The thing is pickleball now. Is that down here? Pickleball is taking the world by storm. Now, I'm sure it's fun. I've never played it. I swim laps. I'll never look like Nate. But anyway, I do swim laps, and I do ride my bike. But, like, I don't want to stand before the Lord one day and said, you know, because he knows I'm going to die in three years. What did you do for the last three years of your life? I played 3,000 games of pickleball, and I won two of them. It was awesome, you know. It's like, no, I, I want my life to count, and so do you. And it starts with the little things because Jesus said he was faithful over little. I will make faithful over much. God is literally looking for faithful people. Second Chronicles 16.9 says the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Today, he looks at this 11 a.m. gathering. She's my faithful daughter. He's my faithful son. I'm going to undergird him. I'm going to be faithful to them. I'm going to undergird them like a good father holds on to his kids, and I'm going to strongly support that man. I'm going to strongly support that woman. One last quote on faithfulness was from a man I got to study the Bible with. He was 89 when he taught at Multnomah Seminary. He said this, John Mitchell, God doesn't reward greatness. He rewards faithfulness. America, everybody wants to be great. I want to be an influencer, you know, so everybody's following me. You know, we're all about famous. God's all about faithfulness, and he's going to reward those. Now, really quickly before we're done, and I need to hurry along here, three quick hindrances to watch out for this week that could derail you from being faithful, and I want to give you three areas you want to stay faithful. I promise, really quick. First one is watch out for the love of money. The Bible says the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. They become unfaithful. It, the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. That's what people misquote this all the time. It says the love of money is a root. There's other things that can destroy your walk with God. But that's one. So Jesus said you can't serve God in riches. So make sure that you realize I'm a steward, and whatever he's given me, and some of you he's given a lot, it's for you to bless others and give it all away. Second one is compromise. Watch out for compromise. Long before David committed adultery with Bathsheba and arranged to have Uriah murdered, he'd already disobeyed some commands. He had multiple wives, and kings were told in the Old Testament not to multiply wives or multiply gold. So there were some compromises there. But in this psalm, we see he didn't want that to be true of his life. That's why he wept over his sin later. So many people start out well, and then they don't stay they don't stay strong, and I just so want that not to be true of me or of any of you here today. And it starts in the little things. And those of you who are parents, you've got to teach this to your kids. Um, one quick story. My uh, son, Jean-Marc, when he was eight, recycling was coming on the scene. We lived in Aptos. He started recycling cans and bottles. We went to this machine one day. He had $2 worth of cans and bottles. It spit out two $1 bills, and a $20 bill was stuck to the $1 bill. So he's eight years old. He goes, Dad, what do I do with this? And, you know, some of your best and worst parenting moments aren't planned. <laughs> so for whatever reason, I handled this one right. I'll tell you why I handled it right. But I said, what do you think you should do with it? And he said, you know, he looked at eight years old, 20 bucks is a lot of money in 1988. He goes, I guess I should turn it in. I said, God's going to bless you for that. So we walked inside, found the manager, was outside of Toys R Us. And he goes, I don't even know who owns that machine. Keep it. So, 
I became a prophet. <laughs> I told him, and he made a prophet. <laughs> but he was able to keep that money with a clear conscience because he did the right thing. Okay, so fast forward, literally 25 years later, we're writing our intentional parenting material. I said, we need to talk about integrity. We need fathers to teach integrity to their kids and mothers. And, I, and this story popped into my head. And then this other thing. People, neuropsychologists, they say that everything that ever happened to you is still stored in there. You just, periodically, it gets recalled. Suddenly, I remembered walking in a Safeway store as a little kid. My dad worked for Safeway. There was a $20 bill on the, on the ground. This would have been in the later 1950s. That was a lot of money then. And my dad, he had really long arms. He's holding my hand. He, he scoops it up. He goes, let's go to the manager. This is somebody's grocery money. And he went and turned it in. I completely forgotten that. Suddenly it pops into my mind. My dad did not lean over and say, now, son, I know you're only six, but I'm going to teach you a lesson right now about integrity. No, he didn't say anything. He just was a man of integrity. So I, I, I'm, I'm remembering this. And then I come across this verse in Proverbs. A righteous man, this is Proverbs 20, verse 7, who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. So I realized, oh my gosh, my dad, who loved God but wasn't even a follower of Jesus yet, he was a man of integrity. So I learned it from him. And suddenly in that moment, I knew how to handle it. And that's the way it's supposed to work. You become a man, a woman of integrity. Your kids will be blessed after you. And if you teach them to be men and women of integrity, their kids, your grandkids will be blessed after them. The third hindrance is pride. Pride is deadly. You start thinking you're the man, you're the woman. If you're being successful right now, the Bible does say it's simply a test. A man or woman is tested by the praise accorded them. You can see if you're going to get arrogant or stay humble. Three areas to stay faithful in. First of all, to your calling, whatever he's called you to do. If you're married, be faithful to your spouse. If you're a parent, be faithful to show your kids the way of Jesus. Whatever your job is, that's your place where he's put you right now. You may not want to stay there, but you're there now. So be a light. Bring Jesus into that, that office or into that school with the way you treat other people. Secondly, be faithful to the Great Commission. Tell people about Jesus. You came to know Jesus because way before you were born, somebody told somebody else about Jesus who told somebody else about Jesus who told somebody else about Jesus, and you got born, and somebody told somebody else, and finally somebody told you. It might have been your mom or dad. It might have been a random person, but now your life has been changed, and you get to go and tell others, starting with your own children. And lastly, and this is the one I'm most passionate about, stay faithful to your family. Stay faithful to your wife or husband. Stay faithful to your children. And if you have children and grandchildren, I see some of you are a little bit older out here, you, have, you get to tell your grandchildren about Jesus. You get to come alongside your kids and reinforce what they're already doing. Give them breaks. Let them get away to Carmel overnight because you're taking the grandkids and you're going to use every single moment of that time to love on them and make it a blast. We, we let them have fun at our house. They destroy the house. It's like there's Legos and blocks everywhere, you know. It's like in Proverbs where it says, where, where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much increase comes from the strength of the ox. Yeah, they're the oxes, right? But we just have a blast with them. 
You know, I, they call me Pops. I go, okay, get, come here, guys. At Pops and Amma's house, the answer is almost always, and they go, yes! You know, so I have to say almost because we do have to honor their parents. So when they say, can I have another peanut butter cup? No, you can't have eight peanut butter cups because your mom said you can only have two. But then we get to read the Bible to them, and we get to come alongside and reinforce what they're already hearing from their parents. What a joy, what a privilege. Here's a picture of two of our eight grandkids, Bertie and Scarlett. Bertie's on, the, uh, on this side. She has, uh, she's got some special needs. She had a rare form of ep epilepsy that damaged her brain slightly. You'd never know it when you're around her unless you really were around her for a while. She's learning to read. And, and the other sweetie Sloan, she's like, you know, warrior woman. Anyway, she's five now. I think there's six and four in this picture. But these kids, part of, part of Diane and me are in them. And we get the privilege of pointing them towards Jesus. And I think we have another picture where she's sitting on my dog, our golden retriever. But if I, if I were to fall away from the Lord or decided I'm just going to check out and go do something crazy, they wouldn't understand right away the ramifications of that. But down the line, it would be devastating. Devastating to my spouse, to my wife, devastating to my kids, and dev devastating to my grandkids. I have the privilege, you have the privilege of staying faithful. You're not going to do it perfectly. Only Jesus will do it perfectly. He perfectly fulfills Psalm 101. That's why he's called the son of David. He will come back and he will perfectly live out verse 6. His eyes will be on the faithful of the land that we may dwell with him. And he'll perfectly live out this psalm. Psalm Revelation 19 says when Jesus comes back, he's going to be on a white horse. I don't know if that's literal or not. People don't know about that, but I think it might be literal. And on the horse, it says, he who sat upon it is called what? Faithful and true. Our God is faithful. So let's stay faithful in his name. Amen? Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.